Good morning, Shiloh. I just want to take a moment to thank you guys for uh, welcoming me in in the last two years. I mean, this is this has kind of become my community here, and so this morning I'm excited to be here, and I'm always excited to be here on Sunday morning, and so uh, I just appreciate you guys. I just wanted to let you know that. So we're going to kind of take a run through the book of Genesis today and look at a look at a theme and look at several different stories in the book of Genesis. Uh, so let's pray before we begin, and then we'll, we'll dive in. So God, again, I just want to come before you and thank you so much uh, for the community we have here at Shiloh and for bringing us to this place. Um, and God, I just pray that you, you are here and that you're present and among us and that your power is, is working here, uh, purifying us and our world and making this world a better place uh, day by day. Uh, God, I pray that, that in this moment and each day that we choose you and, and not ourselves. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, so when I was a little kid growing up, well, I wasn't so young, but maybe maybe 11 or 12, but I would spend a lot of time with my mom's dad, my papa, uh, and we, we would spend a lot of time uh, working on things in the yard or building something new or fixing something up around the house, and I, I remember this one really strange occurrence, and I, I think, if I remember right, we were staining his deck, his, he has a deck on the back of his house, and we were putting some new stain down on it, and so I think I had spilled some stain in some kind of way or made some kind of mess, and so I asked for a rag. And so he throws me one, and I catch it, and I go to start cleaning, and I just start turn it over and start looking at what I'm looking at, and it's it's an old, dirty pair of underwear. <laughs> and so I, I, I kind of stop, and I'm just staring at it, and he, he notices that I'm staring at this underwear, and he, he says, oh, we just, you know, we decided there's no reason to go buy rags or, or waste anything. You know, that's still a good piece of cloth. We can use it for some, some cleaning, so... Okay, that, that makes sense, I guess. I mean, rags really aren't that expensive. Uh, but, <laughs> but so I, t- I, I took the rag and started cleaning, and so that was just a very strange incident to me. Uh, but, it, but it's taken on a little more meaning for me in my life since then, uh, because if you think about that piece of cloth, and it's been in the battleground, like the abuse that it's been through, right? It's, it's, <laughs> it's spent years of being worn in a place. We, just, we don't talk about that, you know, we'll move on, and then... <laughs> Uh, it's been washed and reused again and washed and reused again, and now it's going to be used to clean up molds and, and dirt and used in conjunction with harsh chemicals. Uh, just the abuse that that piece of cloth suffered over the years is, is just kind of astounding to me if I really start to think about it. Uh, and, and so maybe in some kind of way, this is how some of you have felt about life in some ways, right? Life has this way of kind of beating us up over time, and it, it can be... It can get us down at times. Maybe you feel that, that way today. And I, I reflect on this a lot of times when I watch old family videos and things like that. When I think of myself as a kid, you know, you're just, you're just running around. Some of you didn't have videos of yourself when you were a kid, but <laughs> you see yourself running around as four or five years old, and, and there's this innocence, you know, and you're just happy, go lucky, and, and things just change over time, and now we're, we're here having this deep conversation right now. Or maybe it's you're watching a wedding video, or maybe it's your wedding and when, when you got married and everyone's focused in on the moment and there's a lot of happiness and it's, it's a good time. Uh, but then you know that there's been good times since then, but there's also those difficult turns that that marriage took and it's, it's been difficult. And so there's these times when we reflect on you know, the evil and darkness in our world and sin and, and what it's done uh, to our world. And so, so maybe, like I said, you're in that place now where you can't really see around you, the walls are closing in kind of feeling you feel like there's a cord wrapped around your neck. It's just got you. I mean, we, we've all been there in those places at times in our lives. And so maybe in some kind of way you feel like one of my papa's old rags. 
you know, the dirty underwear. And so the Bible, it talks about this, and it, it tells us kind of how we got there in the beginning chapters of the Bible. So when you, when you turn to the first page of the Bible, right, God is creating the world, and he's creating this good world uh, where he puts humanity to live and to thrive and to, to work with him and, and to live with him. And in this garden, this Garden of Eden, right, there's only one path that we're supposed to take. And we're supposed to walk with God and, and go on this path with God. It's, it seems to be pretty simple. He blesses us to be fruitful and have lots of children, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. And that's how it's supposed to be. And that's kind of what our heart desires, right? We, we wish it was always that way. Uh, but I want you to notice something that's kind of interesting in the story of creation. When you, when you go through the creation account, right, God, he, he makes something on each day. And then at the end, he calls it good. And so God starts defining what is good in the world. And he gives it purpose. He says that this way is the good way. Right? And he gets to the end and he says it's very good. And God, even interestingly, interestingly enough, he, he defines what is not good. Even if you look at Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 18, he, he, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And so God, you know, he gives purpose and and structure to the world, and he defines what is good in it. But then there's something else that happens. If we skip down through Genesis to chapter 3, verse 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So this, this is kind of pretty interesting to me. This is a little subtle detail here. But it's interesting to me that Eve looks out and sees the fruit, and now she's defining it as good. And I'm sure that God made this tree beautiful and appealing. Uh, I think that's obvious from Scripture, right? It's, it's this good-looking tree. But she takes this good thing, and she uses it and, and redefines good for her own purpose. This makes sense. When she reaches out, reaches out and takes the fruit, she's, she's redefining good in the way she wants good to look in the way that she wants good to be. So we often think of rebellion against God, right, as this, like, dramatic thing where we're shaking our fist at heaven and, you know, say, going against authority in some kind of way. But it's not always that way. It's sometimes it's a little more subtle. You know, sometimes it's, it's a little more subtle in a lot of ways, and it can be sneaky. You know, that's kind of what this story illustrates, right? The fruit is good. It looks good. There's this serpent. There's a snake that's talking in one of her ears, you know, egg egging her on in this direction, to redefine good the way she wants it to look, the way she thinks it should be. And so I think a lot of times we struggle with this because we often think of good as, or we think of this story of Adam and Eve as some far-off thing that happened thousands of years ago. And I think, I remember when I was a kid, I had this idea in my head that this was some kind of fairytale story. And then, like, like why, why did Adam and Eve mess it up for all of us? You know, that's the question. Like, why, if, if only they had held in the, hung in there and made the right decision, and not given in, then the world would be perfect, right? We'd all be hanging out in the Garden of Eden. And I think that's true. I mean, this, this is about a story that happened thousands of years ago. But it's not just about a story that happened thousands of years ago. It's, it's a story that's been happening every day since then. And it's a story that happens in our own hearts now today because we stand with the same choice, with that tree in our life. And so I think this is where the book of Genesis, it turns around on us and turns in towards us as the reader of the Bible, and you and me, and it, and it asks you a question, are you going to trust God's definition of good and evil and what's right, or are you going to try to redefine it and make it your own? 
And this is something that we all really, really struggle with. It can be very difficult, right? So unfortunately, <laughs> I say unfortunately, the Bible continues to discuss this, and it answers this question for us as to what happens to humanity and what's their tendency as they try to define good and evil. And the picture gets very, very bleak very quickly. You get to the story of the flood, you know, and, and uh, it eventually leads us to this place of utter hopelessness. So if you look again in your Bible, I want to read Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. For me, this is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. It, I just think it's pretty dark. It's, it's kind of odd because it's only, one or co- it's only a couple verses in the Bible, so we kind of read through it very quickly, but it's a pretty dark verse. It says, Genesis 6, 5, the, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So, like I said, this verse is just very sad to me, because usually I give people the benefit of the doubt, right? I know people are trying to make good in the world, but then I think that's exactly it, is we're, all of us are trying, but we're all taking good and we're redefining it on our own terms, the way we want to see good as, right? We, we misconstrue things and we, we change them around to the way that is our, that, that serves us in some kind of way and doesn't ne- necessarily match up with God's purpose for that good. This is our human tendency, the Bible tells us, to redefine good on our own terms. So this is something like when Jesus talks about lust, right? A lot of times we, s- we kind of accuse people if, you know, I were to look at a woman and say that she's beautiful, but she is beautiful. She's made in the image of God, right? I mean, God made us all beautiful, all people beautiful. But Jesus has a problem with, with lust because he, when you take that beauty and you misconstrue it and you turn it around and you make it good for your own purpose, right? Because now that beauty is in some way going to serve you and, and what you need in your life. And, and I struggle with this with Carrie in a lot of ways, like in our relationship. You know, if I've had a stressful day or something, I might want to use Carrie to like, Oh, listen to me, you know, let, let me unload on you in some kind of way. And we're supposed to be there for each other. But at the same time, I can't misconstrue that relationship and make that good thing for my own purpose, right? Or we do this with our materialism, right? It, people create a beautiful house or a nice car or things like this, these material things that we have, but, but we misconstrue them and we use them to, to define who we are in some kind of way. They, they provide us an image or some kind of security, to put our hope in instead of in God. And so th- this is the lie that we find in the garden, right? This, th- the Bible tells us that it's in our own hearts and that humanity has this hopeless tendency to fall into this trap of doing it on their own and choosing to define life as good on their terms instead of on God's terms. And they don't trust God's uh, definition of good. So for some of you, this, this stings a little bit, right? Because it's so subtle, and we do it all the time with just every little thing in our life. And then maybe for some of you, you, you feel like, oh, this doesn't apply for me. Maybe I've, maybe I've got the good figured out. Uh, but that's really kind of not what the Bible says. The Bible really is telling us that our human tendency is to just, to just turn around and redefine these, these good things in our own terms. And I'm, I'm just as guilty as anyone of doing it all the time. It's, it's very difficult. And so I, I think the Bible kind of stings here, and it kind of hurts, right? Because that's what the Bible is. It's a real book. I don't, I don't believe the Bible's written for us to read in heaven. You know, it's written for us to read here on earth, where things are difficult and hard. And it's, it's meant to give us hope and help us to work through these things. So at this point in the story, we, we've 
in Genesis, we, we learn that there's not a lot of hope for us in the sense of by our own works and by our own choosing. We see a couple of examples in the Bible of people who, who really trusted in God and, and did well, like Enoch and Noah that walked with God. Uh, but for most of humanity, this is a huge struggle. And so I want to go, uh, we're going to kind of fly through Genesis, right? So I'm going to skip ahead to a story um, with Abram, the covenant with Abram and God in Genesis 15, if you want to go there in your Bibles. And we'll kind of skim through this, this uh, covenant between Abram and God. And I'll read a few of the verses and kind of summarize the story as we go through. But, but we're going to start to see here what God is going to do about this problem, right? He's promised he's going to do something. And so we're going to see here what God is going to do. So let's start reading in verse 7. And he said to him, this is the Lord speaking to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Right, and this, this is where the scripture gets odd, because he asks how, he, how he's going to know that he'll possess it, and then this is the part of the Bible where a lot of us in the 21st century reading it, you know, we, we skim and maybe go to the next page or something, because what's, what's going on here, really? Um, but it says, but God says to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And so Abram brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half, and when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So what's happening here in the scripture? For, for us, again, as, as readers today, this is kind of odd. Um, but this is something that actually Abram would have been familiar with, right? And, and any Hebrew reader from back in the day would have understood pretty well. This is an ancient Canaanite covenant that's made between two kings. And we, we see this in other parts of the Bible on occasion, and then we'll, we'll see it from some other texts that were found uh, around that time that's outside of the Bible. But, but it describes this uh, covenant that was made. And so they would build this altar between them. Uh, like, like, let's give, for example, like if two kings in ancient Canaan were, like one, the first king was to conquer the second, and they were going to make a covenant. So they would build this altar, and it would have two sides to it that would be raised up, and so the animals would be halved. So each half would go on each side of the altar. And then there would be kind of a low spot or a ravine down in the middle, and so blood would run down into the middle of this altar. right? And so the if you're a little queasy, I'm sorry, but there would be a little puddle of blood that would form right here in the middle. And so the first king would come up to the altar, and he would say, you know, for example, something like, well, I, as the more powerful king, you know, I promise to support you and protect you with my armies and my power, and I'll protect you in times of famine and, and make sure that you're safe. And, and he would walk through the altar in the blood, and he would say, if I don't uphold my end of the deal, then you can walk in my blood. You know, he's signing his life away, right? And so then the second king would come, and he would do the same. You know, if I don't, if I don't pay my taxes to you, if I if I'm don't send men to fight in your army, if I don't honor your name, then, then you can do the same. You can walk in my blood. And so you see that they're signing their life away. So I think if you, if you see the significance of this covenant now, Abram knows what's coming. And so <laughs> he knows that, that he's about to make a deal with God where he's going be putting his life on the line in some kind of sense. Um, and so w whatever happens in this covenant, whatever it is, if Abram doesn't do it, he's going to die. And so if you think about what's happened in this story so far, if you're a reader of the Bible and you, and you look back, then you know humanity's track record is pretty bleak. Right? <laughs> we, just, we just came from the flood where there's all this hopelessness in the world and this darkness. 
And we get here, and then Abram's about to make a deal with God. So now, you know, there's a little bit of concern here. <laughs> there's a little bit of worry for Abram and, and what's going to happen to him. But the story isn't over yet, and this is probably one of my favorite passages and parts of the Bible. If you skip down to verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And so what just happened here, right? So did, did Abram pass through the altar? And actually, I didn't read this verse, but if you go to verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell over Abram. So Abram is pretty passive at this point in the story. So, so was the covenant made? What, did anything happen? And, and so we see here that, that God passed through the altar, the fire pot and the flaming torch. These are symbols of, of his presence over, over to the Israelites and to the Hebrews. And so, so God passes through the altar twice. And so this right here is the part of the Bible that in some kind of way, I, I remember the first time someone explained the story to me, it sent chills down my spine because I, I, just, I just realized the depth of, of what it is because this is the part of the Bible, this is the part of the Bible where God says that you can walk in my blood, right? So God knew we couldn't do it, and he knew how hopeless it was going to be. And, and so this, I'm taking you all the way back to the first few chapters of the Bible where, where God, he comes down and he takes our place on this path to destruction, right? And so if you thought that, thought that Jesus wasn't in the book of Genesis, you know, this is it right here, <laughs> you know, where, where God says that he's going to take our place and that we, we can walk in his blood. And that's a pretty, pretty dark imagery, I think. Um, but that's, that's what God did. He, he died for us. We, we know this. But then we can get back to this whole redefining good or on our own terms thing, right? Because if you look at what happens in the next story, what does Abram do? The very next story, immediately after, uh, he's made this covenant with God where God's basically said, I'm going to bless you. you. You don't have to do anything for it. All you have to do is trust me, and I'm going to bless you. What happens next? Well, then, then Abram, just he tries to go and, and make good of, it, of the promise, of God's promise to him, and he may, tries to make it good on his own terms. Because God's promised him a son, right? He's promised him to be fruitful, that he's going to have uh, this huge blessing and all this offspring. And so, so what does Abram do? Abram goes and he redefines that good on his own terms, and he, he takes Hagar, his maidservant, and, and sleeps with her and tries to have a son and this lineage and this offspring through her. And so, so God has to come back and say, no, 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 that's, that's not the definition of good that I gave you, right? And so as humans, we just struggle with this time and time again, where we, we think that we see the good, that we think that we see the way, and that's, that's not the definition that God gave us of good. So Abram thinks he's doing the right thing, and he sees this as a good way to fulfill God's promise, but it isn't. Uh, God, God has said that he would bless Abram, and Abram doesn't understand how this is going to happen. And so this is where the Bible, you know, it turns, turns back on, on us again today, and it asks us, you know, are you, are you going to trust God's definition of good and that he's going to make it happen? Are you going to wait upon the Lord? Are you going to try to define it on your own terms uh, for your own means? And so this is, this is where the Bible kind of points back at us and says, yeah, hu humanity, you have a tendency to walk in God's blood day after day. You have a tendency, you know, to, to, to turn back to your evil ways and to do your own definition of good. You think it's a good thing, but it's, 
So it's not always God's definition of good. So finally, we come to the end of Genesis. Skip farther ahead. All the way to the end of the book. Uh, Genesis 50, uh, starting in verse 19. And this, this is a verse that kind of sums up the, whole, the idea of this, this good and evil that goes throughout the book of Genesis. Starting in verse 19. So Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So this verse, it, it kind of ser- serves as a summary for the whole book of what, what God is doing and what people are doing, right? People keep messing up the world, and they keep, they keep finding ways to redefine good on their own terms and, and bring evil and darkness into the world, and God keeps, keeps fighting against us and trying to turn us back around, back to trusting him and looking to his definition of what good is. So now if you don't know the story of Joseph in Egypt, we, we just read the last, kind of the final verse of it there. Uh, and, but I know Gary went over it last year, but Joseph was taken in by his brothers and thrown into a well and sold into slavery into a foreign country where he didn't speak the language, didn't, didn't know the religion, didn't know what was going on, and then ends up in prison there, right? And so don't you know, Joseph, he just felt like an old dirty rag in some kind of sense. He's, he'd been through all sorts of things in his life. So, but the thing that Joseph did that's different from, from what, what a lot of us tend to do is that he really waited upon the Lord, right? He put his hope in God day after day. He never, he never stopped waiting for God to show up and to redeem him. And so I think that's, that's the message for us from Genesis, right, is that, that humans, we have a tendency on our own to, to define things uh, that are good and to take them and misconstrue them for evil purposes and the way they're not meant to be. And we do this in all sorts of subtle ways in our lives. Uh, and and, and in, in that, that's left a huge pain across all of our lives, right? This, this dirty rag idea, this idea that, that we brought so much suffering into the world through this. But God, he's, he's taking, and this is the hope and the message of Genesis, <laughs> you know, the story ends well, that, that God is taking this, and he's turning us back around, and he's turning us back to him uh, through 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 dying to us in some sort of sense, you know, through setting this example of love and service and letting go of my, my selfish needs and desires and wants and letting go of my definition of good and trusting in what his is. And so this is, this is where Gem- Genesis, you know, it asks that final question for you that you know, we're made uh, in the image of God to partner with him to make this world good and to be co-creators and to create good things in this world. But of our own t- human tendency, we try, to, we try to do it in our own way, right? We try to redefine it. And so that's the, that's the question for you, is that will you, will you hope in the Lord and will you partner with him in making this world good? Or are you going to try to do it your own way, <laughs> do it by your own definition of good, and, and choose to try to better this world in the way you define that it should be? And so I think, I think the obvious answer here is that we, we do our best every day to wait on God's definition of good and what it means for our life, and, and to hope in him. So if, you, if you're in that place where, where things are difficult or hard, or if you've been there before, I just encourage you to always wait, to, to wait and look to God, because he's our only hope in making things good in this world. Because, again, our tendency is to misconstrue these things and in some kind of way or some kind of use that they're not to be used for. Uh, so I want to close with these words from Lamentations chapter 3, that were read earlier, uh, 16 through 27. Uh, 
finder. Do you have it on the screen? Thanks. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is, so I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope in the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wonderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is, is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Right? The steadfast love of the Lord, it, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, and therefore I will hope in him.